0: Welcome to the All Digital AM Podcast. This episode originally aired as a video on the All Digital AM YouTube channel.
1: Well, so, yeah, I mean, uh, so I'll give you a little bit about my background. I mean, I started uh, here back when we were still called the Pro Metal Division of Extrude Home in 2001. Yeah. I'm a physicist by training. I came here... Uh, I was working as a project manager doing, you know, like one-off machines, assembly lines, um, you know, old fashioned where, you know, like old fashioned heavy manufacturing. Yeah. Um, I started off in like PLC controls, grew into mechanical design mechanisms, instrumentation, um, and doing all that kind of stuff. And then in 2001, I was getting a little bit restless building one-off machines kind of sucks. Yeah. And, um, so I came here to X1, or to, well, to X1, and it was 2001, and yeah, in my interview, I saw our, uh, it was the RTS-300, it was one of our first models of uh, binder jet printer, and you know, using an ancient frickin' printing technology, and a uh, place that it barely, barely ran, I mean, it ran, but it wasn't all that great, and um Boy, I tell you what, the boy did I fall in love with it the minute I saw it. I mean, I think it was, uh, for me personally, it was a designer. As I say, I'm a physicist by training, not a mechanical engineer. So I never learned certain skills. I can model really well in CAD, but I can't make a drawing to save my life.
0: Sure. So
1: actually getting parts made was always kind of like my biggest complaint yeah. in manufacturing yeah. Yeah. yeah and uh then all of a sudden oh wow this is like i just have to design it and then i can hit the print button and this is going to change my life forever had a little bit further to go a yeah. so <laughs> little more than that but yeah everybody felt it the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's cool so it's man been a, it's been a long uh been a, not a long 20 years it's been a fast 20 years actually yeah yeah but, uh, it's still you know i was watching one of your other podcasts i'm also a believer that this is actually still the beginning like this has been 20 years of commercialization to industrialization and uh you know the basic commercialization was done a long time ago making it truly industrial that's the challenge now
0: yeah no it's it's an interesting time we're just talking about that a little bit with philippos about uh you know how It is just beginning, you know, and that's it's kind of uh, there's so many interesting things happening, but it's been evolving to the point, especially for production, you know, and trying Mm -hmm. to get as much parts made as possible. That's always been a barrier and continues to be. But, you know, you see companies kind of stepping up and and opening up what can be done. And I know obviously X1 has uh, had some news on doing that with larger build platforms and coming at things uh, a lot differently, even on the metal side right now and with binder jets. So that's, that's exciting you know i've worked in uh, laser powder bed fusion for the last 5 years uh, but been around it for for a while now a couple decades and as well as the other technologies and i love them all you know they all yeah. have they all have their place they all you know have different things that are really pushing forward what can be done but i think that's also the challenge for these companies uh you know is adopting you know w- which technology is it you know <laughs> that i should yeah, be testing in you know it's a it's an interesting time and what i saw recently too was you know uh, but BinderJet, it's it's been very uh, interesting to me because I have a lot of conversations about things that are happening. Talking about uh, what's happening with HP and sure. also what's happening with desktop metal. Obviously, a huge investments happening there. But I've always known X1 was pushing BinderJet and developing it. Am I wrong about this before? Oh no, I mean before been, all that.
1: Yeah, well, we've been doing BinderJet metal since 1997. Right. Uh, like I say, my first binder so. Um, My claim to fame here, how I became print head guy, technical fellow is, you know, literally it started for me anyway. Uh, It started because the company was basically six people and we were at a, we were at, we had this new platform we wanted to create called the R2 and literally I was at a meeting, it was like our weekly whatever meeting and the boss is like, well, Larry, you're doing that, Mike, you're doing that, David, you're doing that, uh... So, Dan, that leaves you. You're the R2 product champion. So, you got to go figure out what the R2 product is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that just like kind of started a multi year development of a platform that kind of like every platform and additive, it was shipped way before its time, but it wasn't at all ready to go. Uh, I spent nine months at my first customer installation site installing a machine that didn't even have a printhead on it yet. So.
0: Oh boy. Typical yeah. stories though, man. I mean, that's yeah, you gotta, yeah, right. you gotta get it out there and have people tell you, this isn't working. Right. This is, this is not what we expect, but that's how you tweak it and, and have it become yeah. better and better. You know, that's yeah. part of the evolution is having the feedback from other people that are not on top of it every day. But you know, the customer, what, what are they thinking right. about what we're doing? That's right. That's,
1: that's interesting. Right. And your window for opportunity is small and always closing. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you march out there when you have to. And, yeah, so whatever. I mean, it it had a happy ending. I can say the R2 machine is still used in our job shop. I still have an R2. I have a couple out in the field still uh, they are like circa 2005 machines still running every day. So, you know. The machine worked out eventually. Just yeah. Like if it's started. still,
0: if it's still working, it, it worked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Well, cool, man. Uh, I mean, you have, you know a little, uh, little side topic on that, just what's been going on, you know, X1 has been really, uh, famous for what they're doing, you know, with the, with the sand side with the sand casting oh, yeah. side of it and stuff. I mean, that's a big strength, obviously. Um, and that's really awesome to see that develop and what it can do. So, you know, developing everything for the metal side of things, you know, what is it three machines that you have out on metal? How many machines are actually so right now? Yeah, yeah, right now we
1: have three machines that we are actively uh, selling. So you know, we have, of course, our InEvent uh, event Plus with ACT. It's our basically an R and D kind of machine, like 0.67 liters, one sixty by sixty five by sixty five. Um, okay, but it's really great for doing um, tensile testing. You know, like material development. It's very popular in like expensive materials because you know you don't want to. You don't want to invest in some kind of full full production line until you've, you know, demonstrated something at the small scale. So we have the event as a great little intro machine. Um, And frankly, if you're making the transition from dealing with billet to powder, I mean, you want to learn powder on a smaller scale. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then, of course, we also have our two full-on production machines, the 25 Pro, 25 liters, 400 by 250 by 250. Nice. like... You know, six thousand CCs per hour kind of machine, uh,
0: and that's a huge but, jump, right? That that speed of CCs per oh, hour. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's listen. There's a difference between production and toys. I yep. mean, you know, there's you can't. I was I was looking through some old um, documentation on some other machines related to a different project I'm working on, and I was looking at how you know all of the major OEMs used to rate their machines in millimeters per hour. Mm-hmm. and you know when you convert those old millimeters per hour on some of the high production machines they're running less than a less than a less than a thousand cc's an hour you know and we're running on our 160 pros we run at 12,000 cc's an hour right i mean you're oh, turning wow you know 1200 pounds of powder per day so it's uh It's a little bit different scale. It's a little bit different problem to solve. But, you know, what's really strange, what's always, you know, again, I'm not a business guy. I'm not an economics guy. But what's always fascinated me about this industry is how it's so totally driven by build rate and build volume. Sure. It's really a question of dollars per rate times volume. And it's really how do you manipulate those three numbers to get that as small as possible. And we all – historically have tried to get there the same way faster machines with bigger boxes you know like that's yeah. how you get the amortization table right the end
0: yeah no i mean it's exciting to see what's going on you, you had a lot of things happen with the, you said the larger machine is the x1d1 is that correct is is no no so the
1: x1d1 is actually a uh, automatic guided vehicle for our larger platforms okay um, Okay. We've had several requests. over. There's a lot of large OEMs right now that are totally rethinking how they want to do planning. I mean, so as I say, I used to do one-off machines, and so I did some machines for the former GE Transport. And when I say literally you design one machine, it's here's the square footage. We need to move the product this far to this far. This, you know, like it's very, you know, you put in a conveyor and you put in a gate, and it's very straightforward kind of stuff, right? Yeah a lot of manufacturers are wanting to move away from that they don't want to have to dedicate floor space to conveyors they don't want to have to dedicate floor space to control pulpits they want to they want to keep the floor space as open as possible as as reconfigurable as possible and so what they're asking us to do, and not just us, I mean every oh yeah. It, sure. They're 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 asking us to get rid of conveyors, get rid of hand carts, get rid of our old, old, old boss, Larry Rhodes, who founded Extrude Hub, used to say that what we're doing is we're trying to turn manufacturing into manufacturing. Mm. You know, we're trying to take the man out of it more or less at various stages of the game. And
0: the automation um, side of it, yeah. The
1: automation side of it. And so the X1D one is a big piece of just Frankly, build box coordination, right? I mean, like I say, on a 160 Pro, you're dealing with a box that might have 1,200 pounds of powder in it, Mm. and you know you want to move that around from one station to another station, curing, deep powdering, your centering area, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you don't, you, you know, you don't want that to be done by people driving carts.
0: Yeah. Yeah no take out the uh, the human error factor there uh, as much as you can and it's a lot to do i i know that there's a lot of uh, even you know temperature control issues so oh, uh, temperature
1: know. control hey batch traceability is a huge thing for our customers Materials, you know, like they yeah. want to know they want to know that this job that came out of printer A just went into oven C and it's going to go to depowdering station F 10 hours from now or whatever, you know, like, I mean. Right, it's got to be
0: on that schedule to to be the part that it needs to be, you
1: know, that's awesome. And and they want as as few touches as possible, you know, like they just want that back end to flow, just like it does in a regular assembly line. That's, That's really what they want from us, and that's what we're trying to give them.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So to back it up a little bit, too, um, you know, sure. th- this whole technology is binder jet technology. Can you explain what, what binder jet is? Oh, of course like I that? can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, one of my favorite things to do. I knew do. it
1: would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll let you go for it, buddy. Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about binder jetting here at X1, we talk about the core of binder jet and the core of binder jet basically revolves around six things all operating in perfect concert. So if you take the first three, you've got essentially, I call it the jetting tool, your print head, whatever. You've got your... Jetting tool, your binder, and your powder, and you've got to have those things working, you know, in perfect harmony, meaning that you can't just look at, oh, what kind of print head am I going to get? It's, it's got to be, okay, what kind of print head am I going to get for what kind of life, for what kind of binder formula, because I'm jetting on what kind of powder. And so you get those first three things working really well together first, your jetting tool, your binder, and your powder. But unfortunately, of course, as you can imagine, that only gives you one droplet. So, you know, it's essentially a gluing process. You jet this little droplet of glue into the powder that binds a single voxel together. To turn that into a three-dimensional part, now you have to take these three core elements and build three more core elements around them, meaning the actual platform itself and all of the tending material handling functions that go into that, your control system components like your pumps, your valves, PLCs, all those kinds of things. And then, of course, your recipe execution engine, you know, like, how am I going to slice my files, my layers? How do I lay out the bitmap? What's my laydown strategy? All of those kinds of things. So those six pieces working together, the jetting tool, the binder, and the powder substrate, and powder substrate preparation, the platform, the uh, control system, and the recipe execution engine, those three those six together, that makes up what we call the core of binder jetting. And mm-hmm. so you just do that over layer over layer, you know, wash, rinse, repeat, spread a layer of powder, print an image of glue, get ready for the next layer, you know, and uh, over and over and over. And yeah, that's what- the basics of binder jetting
0: what what is 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 does the binder change for the material how does that yeah yeah yeah. sure
1: i mean like so if you think about okay so let's talk about what you already mentioned our sand casting business versus our metals business sure in our sand casting business that you know i tell you why the foundries and the and the and the customers and the pattern shops love our stuff is because it's straight up material we're not asking them to do anything funny it's foundry sand it's Mm -hmm foundry binders like for fuel used to. and phenolic and yeah, it's like what they use every day. There's no special there's no special training other than they have the machine and it's a new technology, but the materials are something they're intimately familiar with. Um and so those binders are their own class, and they're really just sand binders. But then in metal binders, you know, we kind of have a completely different – the binders in that industry are driven by the need to, you know, not only hold the casting shape during the casting process, but those binders have to successfully burn out and decompose before, you know, like the casting operation's over, right, because you've got to break that sand back up, wash it out, you know. So yeah. those binders are all tuned for that kind of an atmosphere or for that kind of environment and production. Metal binders, on the other hand, are a little bit different because one of the things that we have to do in metal binding is make sure that the binder itself throughout the rest of the process. So I, I didn't really talk about the curing and sintering steps. I can do that. But curing sure. and centering now. You have this uh, powder. We don't have all of the waxes and whatnot that you get from the MIM industry, but it is ultimately bound together with a polymer when it goes into the furnace. And so you need those polymers that you use in your metal binders to burn out cleanly. You can't, you know, if you're trying to make Inconel 625 or Inconel 718, you know, there are very tight oxygen and carbon specs on those kinds of materials. And so, whatever is in your binder, that has to burn out cleanly, or you start affecting material chemistry, and now you don't have a process that's worth anything.
0: Right, right. And at the same time, a lot of I, uh, things I heard, like his feedback on the process, I'm just wondering about what's improved. I know surface quality was kind of like a, a knock compared to maybe laser, sure. laser uh, process. So I know that's been improved. W- what happened there? Like, I mean, I can... Oh, yeah. it's
1: simple. It's yeah. simple. We conquered powder. Um, yeah. You know, when you, when, when you look at it, really, they, they specialize in free-flowing powder, you know, yeah. like Because of either the way they've chosen to spread their powder, compact their powder, whatever, they choose free-flowing powders. Well, free-flowing powders largely are going to be larger diameter, right? So a typical cut in a laser machine might be 10 to 40. It might be 20 to 50. And so there's kind of going to be that inherent bottom end of... Uh, theoretical accuracy right Yeah. but now that we're using powders with a D50 and 9 microns and we gotcha. can go in, in layers as thin as I mean if you really want to do super high precision printing on binder jet you really can I mean we have a process that's like 20 micron layers at 800 DPI and nice. you know the parts are beautiful yeah. yeah I mean it, so what's really happened is that you know, we were we, we were stuck in the same rut of having to use free flowing powders. You know, like we just were having issues. We knew that we had to get the fine powders, but getting those things to flow and spread evenly and make you know a thirty micron thick layer and the layer underneath that's wet and evaporating and. You know, there's just a whole lot of stuff going on, yeah. and you're trying to do something really precise and really exacting. We finally figured that out, and yeah. you know, like we put together like a program over the course of. You know, I had my phone on mute, but it was still vibrating on the table. So.
0: Yeah, all good. So, but you were saying that, that that's how that the uh, the surface quality improves so much is yeah, because I of mean, those. Really,
1: yeah, you get. Hey, listen, the, it's true that things matter as long as you make everything matter at once, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's no point in going to a nine micron powder if you're going to use a hundred micron thick layer. Yep. You know, yep. like there's, there's certain, if you're not taking advantage of it all, there's no point in taking advantage of any of it. So like in our super high definition processes, like any printer, I mean, at the end of the day, we are all printers in binder jetting, right? And mm-hmm. so we all kind of have to recognize that printing plain black text and printing full color photographs are two different settings on your printer for sure. Yeah. And, and, and the same thing is true in 3d. So if you want those super fine features, super thin layers, that does cost you time. And, but it's kind of cool, right? Because it means that you can play around a lot with those variables of time, surface finish, layer thickness, DPI's, you know, and you can really say, okay, what does this application really require? And that's one of the nice things about binder jetting, too, is that, you know, if you have enough we, – we have settings on our machines that, you know, just like on a typical machining center, we call it hogging it out, where you're doing 200 micron layers, you're at 400 DPI's, 150 picoliter drops. You're just hogging out material because the shapes you're making – they
0: don't need That's the a, high
1: accuracy. Right. That's yeah, all yeah. the more critical they are. It's understood that it's a near net process. They're going to be doing some post process machining anyway, so you hog it out, and so you can configure your machine for that. But you can configure your machine for making like just we make just just to show off. Sure. No, we I love these, it. Man. I don't have any with me. I yeah. unfortunately give them away. But we make these little tiny fleas, and I mean the legs on the fleas are less than a half a millimeter thick. The wings on the fleas are half a millimeter thick. Now i got to get I never thought yeah, I'd say I'll, that. I want to get uh, some I'll fleas. Get fleas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, these things are just amazing That's to cool. hold, and and, and and you could not ever make them in a MIM process or any other process. I mean, it's just. That's cool. It, it, it's amazing how the. Yeah, it how
0: this shows precision. It. Yeah. Yeah. Shows yeah. precision, and like you're saying, you have a fine-tuned instrument and what you can do with it. I, I still I got to see that flea, man. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I'll, I'll, I'll get some. Yeah,
0: that's, that's way all. cool. Yeah, uh, so, so I know that, uh, you know, so like you were saying, um, that I that saw some of the headlines being it was a what, larger build area with three times print speeds. Yeah, now, so is that for X1, or is that across the board in binder jetting? Like what, what exactly okay, is it doing yeah, in so, the industry?
1: Let me talk about that exact press release. So that's, yeah. that's the press release of our new Inevent Pro that we're doing with Siemens. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically what that is is, you know, the Inevent Pro is a great machine. great. It's a great platform and our customers love it. But, you know, pretty much our number one and number two complaints are that it's just a little bit too small and okay. it's a little bit too slow. And so what we decided, we broke down through a whole bunch of different, again, Looking at the dollar signs for build rate volumes and trying to figure out, okay, where are our customers? Where where can we take our customers that's going to make them, you know, happier? Did a lot of research, interviewed a bunch of people, and basically, you know, there are some formulas that we use internally. I'm sure every company that designs their machines has, you know, standard, this is the estimate of how to get there kind of stuff. Yeah. So we struck on this 275, 2.75 liters. Uh, it's like 220 by 160 by 100 deep, I think.
0: Nice. And,
1: you know, it's going to be like a nice, yeah, it's like a little bit bigger than like a tissue box, let's say. It's going to mm-hmm. build at 500 cc's per hour. So you're going to do that like in about a four or five-hour run, something like that. You'll get nice. a couple of boxes out of an eight-hour shift. We think that for somebody just like kind of moving from, proof of concept in event type space to just below the point where you're ready to really go after a 25 pro or a 160 pro and really get maximum productivity we wanted to have another little we wanted to have some kind of stepping stone there again you know when you first especially for for our customers first getting into powders it can really be a, 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 a leap you know I mean it can be a yep you, you try to prepare them as much as you can right of course I mean we have hundreds, thousands of pages of documentation about safety and movement protocols and storage protocols. But, you know, when you actually get into the work of implementing a powder a powder based manufacturing system, there are lessons to learn. And um, the easier you can make those lessons, I think, you know, ultimately, customers are going to appreciate it, especially if you can, if you can really hit that 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 price point that makes it easy for them to say yes and really get started. Because I tell you, so many people, uh, Adam, are so excited about binder jetting. I mean, yeah, uh, the, the competition that's entered the marketplace has been quite possibly the most important part of the X one company's development ever. Is having competition. You know, sure. having validation, having other. Uh, people saying, yeah, you know what? We think your customers are so cool. We're going to go after them too. That's you know, been great for us. Great that's a huge
0: us. validation, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's saying that this is a viable technology if everyone's wanting to jump on the bandwagon. So uh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, really cool. And so now with, with that new machine and that partnership with, with Siemens, is 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 there an evolution there of size and speed? Yeah, you know, it is. It is. Or, it's yeah. an evolution.
1: I mean, the thing of it is what we, you know, we're, we're kind of funny. So over the last 20 years, like literally what I've seen us do, and this is uh, actually not a criticism of X1. It's like just kind of how we've gone. Sure. Um, so we went from the R2 that I made, that was eight inches by eight inches by six inches deep. And then we decided we wanted to try going really small scale and doing uh, the dental market. And so we made a machine that was like 60 by 40 by 25.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: But at that scale, we figured out a whole lot of things that, frankly, we weren't figuring out at the R2 scale. You know, like you're able to study a lot more interactions in a lot more smaller space. And so you can map certain fundamentals a little little bit better and so we would take the learning from the R2, scale it down and make an r1 but then we scaled that back up to make a machine that actually we never released it was just an internal production model and then we went to the m flex really big and then we went back down to the in event to say hey you know what there's a lot of new technology here on the m flex let's scale it back down and again really make it studyable that gave us the Innovent plus with act and our vaccine our advanced compaction technology, unlocking all these super fine powders, I'm talking about, and then we scale that back up to the 25 Pro, and now up to the 160 Pro. Yeah. So I'm predicting our next machine is going to be about the size of a matchbox. And sure, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Go back down, raise back up, yeah, right, hey, yeah. Know. Hey, you know, I, but you know, that's where also the precision is is made, right? Yeah. On the, because yeah. I know when you're looking at like you're saying, you don't have to turn over as much powder. You're looking at one area of, of building things, and you're doing things you could fine tune inside that area so then you look at how you could scale that up right i mean yeah. that's just that's just logical i guess uh, for the process but that's that's way cool i mean it's uh it's, it's been a wild ride so what's been going i guess that's all been part of what's been happening with x1 during this year oh, 2020 because the pandemic sure. has slowed a lot of progress down but you guys have been developing this for a while so i'm really yeah. happy to see the technology pushing forward at this time that's awesome
1: yeah, well, you know, I mean, and we communicated this to the market. I mean, one of the things that, you know, it did help us, frankly, is we have we had a very strong backlog heading into COVID. And we've actually have continued to build our backlog uh, in COVID. I mean, and I'm sure this isn't just X1. I'm sure it's almost everybody. When you're talking about really expensive production platforms, you know, that's a sales process that can last nine months, a year, 15 months. So, you know, to have like a three or four month blip might be a really big deal but since you're on such a long time scale anyway it's not quite as big of a deal sure um so you know that certainly helped you know what else can you do but keep moving forward i mean like all companies we had a couple of layoffs not very many um, sure we were very fortunate in how few people uh, we wound up letting go so you know that had a little bit of an impact um but, you know, frankly, the X1 business is strong. I mean, I uh, talk to new customers every day, excited to get into a statement of work or get into a machine or just buy parts. It's, I, you know, this is a great time to be in binder jetting is all I can
0: say. Yeah, I know. I know it is. That's, that's really cool that that's what's happening now. Like we were saying, 3D printing manufacturing in general are doing a lot of interesting things at this time. And to see the technology push forward in BinderJet right now is, is super exciting. So I'm looking forward to much more from X1. I know that we have some things in common, too. I mean, this has been a stressful time. Talk about some of your hobbies. I know it sounds oh, like we're, sure. we're, we're both musicians here a little bit. Uh, have you been getting to do any of that? What have you been doing with your spare time there, But
1: You know, I tell you the truth, I haven't been able to do much music in a yeah. few years. So, uh, I mean, I you know I used to play leads. I was lead singer, bass player, songwriter. Nice. Band. I was in a band from I don't know ninety six to twenty thirteen. Wow. Uh, in the area, just I mean, hey, listen, we were never famous. It was just fun, right? I mean, oh, yeah, it was yeah. Me and a bunch of the boys, and we got together once a week to practice and once a week to play out. You know, I mean, it was yeah. great. Yeah. And uh, but I tell you what happened is you know, frankly, my kids were getting older uh, around twenty eleven or so. Um, I was looking for stuff to do with the kids, and my uh, son and daughter and wife and I all got into taekwondo.
0: Nice. And, cool. Uh,
1: so, yeah, so we all went through, like, taekwondo, black belt training together. My son and I are third degrees. My daughter's a second degree. Way cool. And my wife's a first degree. So, yeah, that, like, kind of got distracting for a while. My son and I would travel around a lot, compete. And,
0: That's a great you know, distraction. So, yeah. Oh, I, had, yeah. I, mean, I had my daughter a, in there in kindergarten and first grade, but... She she wanted to move on to something else, but the first yeah. first couple of years, I got her into the discipline of doing stuff like that's great. That's cool.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. But uh, so now, you know, I mean, my son's uh, eighteen. He'll be nineteen next May. My daughter's going to turn twenty two. So yeah. I still have the base. Uh, I still have the base down in the basement. I still have my keys up in the uh, attic. I've got an old Akai twelve twelve recorder mixer down in the basement. So Class,
0: yeah, cool, man. Yeah, cool. yeah, that's that's awesome yeah i i have a few of those uh, laying around here uh, i had more stuff that i had to put in, uh for my man cave away a, a while back but uh you know the 90s played a lot of music and stuff sure. like that and,
1: and oh uh, dude the 90s was the best
0: yeah yeah you know that's, that's when i was playing a lot you know now it's just a uh, i'm a dad you know i i, I play right. uh, i play when i can to, to uh, have fun myself i usually end up playing acoustic guitar and singing uh, just uh, ruining cover songs basically <laughs> <laughs> but 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 i you know but but I love all of it you know it's a it's a good thing and and also my daughter's oh, yeah. been getting into piano during uh you know before the pandemic, but now she's more into you know the virtual classes and stuff like that, so just uh having yeah. that as a hobby is a blessing right now it's something to do together and have fun with so we we have a good time
1: well, it's weird my new hobby to tell you the truth uh that like kind of came up, and so this is um, i' I'll go ahead and be a little open with feeler. Sure, secret sure. about myself.
0: Awesome. Man. <laughs> That's my like exclusive. Is, yeah.
1: Oh yeah. So my wife has turned me into like a closet fan of the show Project Runway. Okay. Yeah. Show about clothing designers. Yeah. Yeah. Also. Well, so I'll tell you how the how the pandemic first hit for me. Right. Um, we were just wrapping up TRX in uh, College Station, Texas, in March. Okay. I flew out to uh, that was like March first or second through fourth or something. Mm -hmm. I flew out to California for an overnight trip. One of the salesmen asked me to come out and help him with an an introduction to a new potential client. So I flew out there we were going to fly up to Seattle the next day to meet somebody else. And like that Thursday, it was the fifth, that Thursday, the fifth, I was in California for 24 hours before basically our second customer we were going to go see canceled said, we're not taking any visitors. I was lucky enough to be able to catch a red-eye home, and I made it home Friday. And why it's so clear for me is because that happened to be my birthday.
0: Okay. Well, happy belated, but what a time. time. Yeah, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the very first phone call I get practically from the time I hit the tarmac in Pittsburgh is my uh, boss uh, at the time, Rick Lucas, calling me saying, Hey, Dan, is it true that you were just traveling in California? And I'm like, yeah, Rick, dude, I was there for like 24 hours. I mean, I, I I was barely there overnight. And he says, yeah, well, you're gonna have to go on quarantine for 10 days because you know California was a hotspot, yes. and, and 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 everything changed like it was overnight, man. It was yeah. like, and it was so crazy because at that conference, like COVID wasn't really even on the schedule, and two sure. weeks later dominated the conversation. So, yeah. I mean it was like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was for everybody at the time. It's funny, you are you're bringing up uh, the clothes and different things that were going on, right? Where you start to talk oh, about- Oh, I'm it. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I knew happy.
1: Yeah. So, so, okay, I get this quarantine and I'm like, oh man, okay, this must be serious. We better do something about these masks. Mm-hmm. So, and I, you know, I don't know. I didn't, I, I don't know, I guess I was too lazy to go buy one. So I happened to like see this tutorial online about how to sew your own cloth masks. And I watched it, and I'm like, oh, I can figure that out. And so I, like, dug up my wife's 20-year-old sewing machine, cleaned it, and oiled it, and taught myself how to make masks, taught myself how to sew, and taught myself how to sew cloth masks. Cool, man. And so now I've, like, started making some clothes for her, and I'm putting together a 120-week work plan where I'm going to go win Project Runway.
0: Dude. (laughs) That's awesome. You might want to take my daughter with you. She is an amazing, she's she's 11 going on 12, but she's been in sewing classes for the last four uh. years. And I and I and it blows me away because right before the pandemic, I went into her classroom and she's like, Oh, I want to show you this new purse I made. And I was like, Okay. And I was looking everywhere else, but right on the table in front of me, because there was this gorgeous high <laughs> style purse that I thought was the teacher's bought purse because unbelievably sewn in yeah, detail awesome. everywhere. And it was her that was the purse, and I was like, You made this? So I, I'm, I'm keeping it down because she's in virtual school right here. Let right. me um, take this off just so I could hear myself. Um, I, I bought her a, uh, a sewing machine. I haven't given oh. it to her yet, so she's she's going to get her own sewing machine soon. So that's a little exclusive oh, that's so here cool. too. Awesome, yeah, yeah,
1: man.
0: yeah. Awesome. So because you know, you know, I want to definitely want to bolster up what, what she's doing there, and she's so amazing. And she still takes the class; the a small four four people only. Uh, yeah. So she still does that, but at the oh, same time. Awesome. I'm gonna, that that's the kind of been sitting in the, in the closet here for a little while waiting for the right moment. But now that you're talking about it, that, so
1: I'm,
0: I'm going to have to take it up too. Cause I all have the awesome machine at home to do that. I'm just trying to yeah keep a little secret there, but yeah, that's, that's real cool. That's a, that's an amazing parallel there, man. Uh, I
1: have uh. to tell you as an engineer, as a scientist, whatever, I have found that fabrics are amazing. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, so like I say, I made my wife this one thing and like, one of the weird things about clothes is you make the pockets first. Yeah. Don't know why, but whatever. whatever. And like the instructions are really like oddly written if you're not used to them, let's say. Yeah. And so like, it's telling me things like, okay, flip this. So, so a seam here, turn it over, do this, do that. Okay, now flip the whole thing inside out and do this. And it's like, you flip the whole thing inside out, and you're like, that's what I was doing? I mean, that side looks horrible. (laughs) Yeah, and and like, just the way you can like, work with fabrics and build in structures and like, support, you know, like, if you put the right kind of tension here, and the right, I mean, it's, fabrics are just like, becoming a, like, a a fascination for me, of just like, piecing fabric work together together and seeing what kind of shapes you make based on hidden seam work and it's 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 actually turned into kind of just a weird thing for me that I find just really interesting. I've never worked with fabrics before, right? Like I've always worked with solid objects or yeah. maybe sheet metal but you know, this is was really kind of new, very cool for me.
0: That is. So the next uh, Project Runway winner right here Well, it's two and a two-and-a-half-year <laughs> yeah, two plan. Like yeah, I, say, I know. It's a 120-week
1: plan. So yeah, that's that's awesome, man. What a, what a, a, a co- stage gate's built in there and everything. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a cool hobby to
0: pick up. I mean, it's, uh, I, I could see myself getting into it now when I re- release that uh, new system I'm going to pull out. It's the same one she has in class, so it's a really nice uh, nice setup. Awesome. Trying to be silent there. I don't allow it over right. But anyhow, yeah, man. So, hey, wonderful to have you here. Dan, is there anything else to
1: talk about while we have you here? Oh, geez. I guess I'll just say I'll make a quick plug for X1. I mean, as you know, we've been in binder jetting the longest time. Experience counts. Uh, Yeah. Over 20-plus materials that we've been able to demonstrate running through our machines. Um, We, you know, I mean, we always say it. We can do sand. We can do metals. We can do ceramics. Yeah, Um, and uh, we've been doing it longer than anybody else. And, 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 you know, when you look at the economics of our truly production machines, I mean, not only are our prices competitive, they're frankly the best out there and you're going to find the most complete solutions from us. And, um, yeah I mean, hey, and x1 is hiring we are hiring a ton of people in every go. asset of the business whether you're technical whether you're marketing whether you're sales whether you're service whether you're whatever we need scientists we need machine builders we need we need accountants we need everybody we've got so many jobs posted on the x1 hiring page uh, it is a great time to be in binder jetting please apply. Uh, yeah. hit me up on dm on linkedin uh look yeah. me up on linkedin my uh handle there is jethead so you nice. you do n.link.com slash jethead you'll come right to me perfect Find me on twitter at dan technoguru and uh follow us at x1
0: yeah, and that, uh, all those uh, careers and jobs, it's, it's xone.com right, e-x-o-n-e dot com and I'll put a link that's to that, right. um, a description of that uh, to, with the link. In oh, talk. you know what, we wanted
1: to talk about women in 3D
0: printing. Sure, let's, let's go on it, man, that's awesome. So, so I, how did you, yeah.
1: Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so I'll tell you my uh, start with it, to be honest, I was really kind of, I mean, like, I didn't know anything about it, I kind of thought it was for women, right? It's called Women in 3D Printing, and yeah. then, um, how I actually got introduced to it like formally was uh i met janet carr from link 3d
0: awesome at, uh, great
1: AM. oh janet's amazing she's yes. amazing uh um, i should plug our podcast while I'm here because we're working on a podcast together called beyond industry 4.0
0: awesome but well, check that one out yeah
1: yeah she uh just asked hey are you going to the women in 3d printing uh you know mixer tonight um, social hour and happy hour and I was like, "Oh, well, I are not allowed to go to that." She says, "Of course, and so I went, and wow, what a amazing group of women and then uh I went to my first like actual women in three d printing happy hour well. But one that was not just a happy hour, like where they actually had a presentation, a panel discussion, you know, like a whole thing. And uh, I was like, wow, that was really like one of the highest quality presentations I've ever been to. And then they asked me, like I came and spoke at one once. They asked me if I'd just come and tell my story at one of the gatherings. And that was really great. And uh, I had an opportunity to meet Nora uh, Torrey once and um, not too long ago, actually again through Janet Carr and uh, wow what an amazing woman she is and just the people that I've met there the things I've gone to women in 3D printing I'm just a huge fan of Um, our uh, lead counsel Loretta Benick is a co-founder of the Pittsburgh chapter that's You know, the X1 company has actually a very long history of putting women in powerful positions. I mean, we have a new, well, our global marketing director, uh, Sarah Webster, was recently promoted to chief marketing officer. You know, like I say, Loretta Bennett is our head counsel, uh, secretary of the board of directors. So you know i've uh, i've been so impressed by the women i've met in additive actually the women i've met in manufacturing in general well i tell you what a great organization
0: yeah it is it is that's that's really cool that that's how you got involved i've been on and off talking with nora and everyone else uh, over the years and uh, working with janet too but yeah that uh you know that big uh, event they have coming up in January the type conference in type January. Conference. Yeah yeah also thank you very much for uh for joining me oh, on really this. Up. Oh look hey he's back. He's <laughs> back really to close it out. He's back to close it <laughs> out. No no no. All oh, good man. Yeah like I was saying no it's just it's been great chatting with you Dan and yeah, I was, Thanks thanks for having
1: me on. Yeah have yeah. A good
0: yeah, looking forward to keeping in touch, and I know I'll see you around. So uh, let's definitely keep uh, keep chatting, and uh, we'll see you soon, buddy. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank, All you. Right. Thank you for listening to the All Digital Additive Manufacturing Podcast. If you would like to help support and be part of our community, take action and smash subscribe, press follow, comment below, or leave a review. And don't forget to share. Thanks for continuing the conversation. This is Adam Penna signing off. See you next.